Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Well, good morning. Welcome this morning. My name's Pastor Steve, one of the pastors here at Tulare Community Church. You know, there's a, a beautiful road between the place we stay in, in Mount Hermon, California, and between there and the beach community of Santa Cruz. It's Graham Hill Road. It winds out of the Santa Cruz Hills, home of some of the most majestic towering redwoods on the planet, one of my favorite places. Now, I have this memory on that road as a junior high kid riding in the car with some friends some 50 years ago. Just as we came around the last corner into Santa Cruz and a spectacular view of the Pacific Ocean, my friend's mom pointed at the cemetery on our right and said, Hey, boys, look, people are just dying to get there. And then she kind of laughed a little too much at her own joke. Well, we didn't think too long about her dumb joke, but honestly, because we were we were almost to Santa Cruz Boardwalk, home of the Giant Dipper, colorful people, and of course, girls. Now, here's the ironic thing, though. I have passed that very same cemetery on the last curb before the spectacular view of this Pacific Ocean two or three times every June, and I have this thought. People are dying to get there. But I don't think it as a joke. It's a reality staring at all of us in the face. It's part of our human experience. And as a pastor, I I have the privilege of officiating many funerals, coming alongside individuals and families when a, a loved one dies. You know, that amusement park of the Santa Cruz boardwalk, no longer, not even, not even a little bit, does it distract the flood of memories from those funerals I've been a part of since the previous June. So, so I let myself remember the people we've lost, the sorrow, the sadness, and then often there's, there's a little bit of regret of things that I could have done or should have done or shared or but it's too late. It's, they're gone. So I let myself remember. And Lent, beginning with Ash Wednesday, is about that. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. But it doesn't end there. Well, instead of running off to some amusement park of our own mind this morning, I invite you to consider your own mortality. Let's consider our own mortality this morning. Let's consider our lifestyle choices and specifically our heart for the poor individually and as a church family. This encouragement to us, any sorrow that we experience this morning or during Lent has the potential to benefit us for all eternity. Here's what Paul said to the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. That's a beautiful thing. That is beauty. Goes on to say, though, but worldly sorrow brings death. That certainly is ashes. Well, please turn in your Bibles to the same chapter as Pastor Ryan used last week, Luke 16, in which Jesus shines light on our hearts. You know, God knows our hearts. And 
the value that we place on stuff, that is our wealth, property, money, the finer things of life. You know, if we go back, June 15, or Luke 15, uh, share, Jesus shares three parables about our relationship to people, uh, specifically lost people. And today's parable addresses both the stuff in our life, but also the people in our lives. So Luke 16, 19 to 31, I've entitled this message, Would Have, Could Have, Should Have, Too Late. So Jesus tells a story for us today. It's a parable that is a short fictional story that sheds light on a spiritual truth. It's a unique parable in that Jesus uses actually a person's name, the only one that he does that. John Calvin entertains the notion that this may even be a true story. True or fictional, however, it is the ultimate would have, could have, should have, and after death, it's too late. So here's the story. Verse 19 says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him off to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip a tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, but while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted in here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so they will not also come to this place of torment. Again, Abraham replied, They have Moses, the prophets. Let them listen to them. Oh, no, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Wow, what a parable. Well, I, this parable certainly is not as confusing as the one Pastor Ryan preached from last week, but I'm finding it extremely challenging to share today. Here are the characters of the parable. The rich man, of course. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and linen and lived in luxury every day. He's introduced as one who literally wears his wealth on his sleeve, clothed in purple and fine linen. A description, actually, of the robes worn by high priests. Enormously expensive, a thousand times the average working man's wage of the day. And Jesus says he lives in luxury. Every day. Some versions say this, that he feasted sumptuously every day. That meaning gourmet meals of exotic, costly dishes. Every day. Now Jesus paints him as a man of indolent self-indulgence. 
The words used indicate a very pampered life, full of luxury on display for all to see. And wanting to be seen in all his wealth and self-importance was what this rich man was all about. And he dies. And he's buried, no doubt, in fine fashion. And he goes to Hades, Jesus says. What he is chiefly condemned for is the cruelty that left Lazarus lying by his gate, poor and covered with sores. For Jesus interrelated these two things, that the rich man was given up to drunkenness and display, an insatiable whirlpool, whirlpool devouring heaps of food, and yet untouched by Lazarus' poverty and wretchedness, but knowingly and willingly letting him waste away of hunger, cold, and stinking ulcers, untouched, no grief or compassion or pity for a fellow man, hungry and in pain. So in many ways, not because he was rich per se, but it was the sin of omission, what he failed to do. Now this is a big deal. This catches the heart of the father and Ezekiel the prophet 16 verse 49, uh, a charge is brought against Sodom. It says this in verse 49, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. And anytime we hear Sodom, oh no, cover the kid's ears. But it says this, She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. We catch the heart of the Father for the poor and needy here. This certainly was all true of the rich man in this parable. Well, then we have Lazarus. We're told that outside this rich man's mansion at his gate, uh, says was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. You know, Lazarus is the only uh, name given to anyone in Jesus' parables. It means Elazar, that is, God has helped, or God is my help. Most commentators remind us that it is not Lazarus' poverty, per se, that saves him. In his poverty, Jesus points out, there was an authentic faith, a trust, a, a dependence on God, a beautiful soul underneath all the brokenness and pain. Just to be clear, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the apostle says this about salvation. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not in yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's a response to the good things we do. It doesn't earn our way into heaven. And then this passage from John, uh, Romans 10, verse 9. I heard the kids last night uh, in our kids' ministry. They're memorizing this one with motions. It was such a delight to hear the God's word coming out of their mouths um, so enthusiastically. And this is the verse. It says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's clear. Well, verse 22 of our passage says, The time came when the beggar died, 
and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. No fanfare, no burial, as was mentioned for the rich man, but what an escort to heaven, to Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom, so close that his father Abraham, also wealthy, I want to make note, but a man commended for his faith in God, the father of faith. Paul refers to him in Romans 4.11, Abraham is the father of all believers. Oh, you probably sang the song when you were in Sunday school. Father Abraham had many sons. Well, Lazarus was one of his sons. Think this way, that what Jesus is saying is that Lazarus is home now. He's, He's safe. There's shalom in his life. That is, all things are as they should be for him. So that's Lazarus. Then we have in our story... The parable, Jesus refers to the dogs, that there are dogs here. Now, I have a little dog named Winston. He's kind of a cute little 15-pounder or so. Uh, In preparation of this message, I was outside just thinking about these things, and I had had a little conversation with Winston. You know, whenever he looks at me, and kind of he tilts his head. I, I just feel like he understands me. And I just feel like at any point he's just going to say something. And if he were to say something from this passage, he would say this. You know, it's possible, Steve, that I am more compassionate than you are. This is a hard thing. Now, don't make too much of this. It's not like I'm going to go order some plastic bracelets for all of you, a WWWD bracelet, what would Winston do, or anything like that. Um, But in Jesus' story, the rich man clearly ignores the need on his own doorstep. Only the dogs see the need. Their licks, which seem to provide relief, serve as a bitter contrast with the rich man whose own tongue, interesting enough, will soon enough be the site of great need. John Calvin asks this, What could be more monstrous to see than to see dogs taking charge of a man to whom his neighbor is paying no attention? And what is more, to see the very crumbs of bread refused to a man perishing of hunger while the dogs are giving him the service of their tongues for the purpose of healing his sores. And then we have the dialogue between Abraham and the rich man. What do you make of this interchange between the two rich men? What would you ask him? What's so startling to me is that the rich man still sees himself as superior to Lazarus. He's in hell. (laughs) Lazarus is in heaven. And yet, his words are, Father Abraham, sort of like one rich guy to another, you know, send Lazarus. Oh, my. Rich man, you know Lazarus' name. You knew it all along. Again, an indictment on his failure to, to show compassion. He says, Lazarus, to dip your finger in water and cool my tongue because I am agony. You know, send Lazarus to warn my five five brothers. You know, his character has not changed at all. He still sees Lazarus as his servant. Well, Abraham replies, no, that's not going to happen. Number one, it's improper and it's also impossible. Improper in the sense that it would reflect the fact that God is not a just God. Yes, God is merciful, but God is also fair. 
your brothers and you had Moses and the prophets. You didn't listen to them, but your brothers still can. Now, Luke 16, 25, where Abraham's explaining to the rich man about how he had it so good, Lazarus had it so bad, um, mimics Jesus' teaching elsewhere. You know, the measure we use to judge others will be used on us. It's in Matthew 7, verse 2. Uh, the rich man's love of money has bloomed into a callous, self-justifying negligence of others' needs. His lack of mercy finds its miserable echo in mercy now not received. And then he goes on to say, and it's impossible, there's a vast chasm that has been fixed forever and absolutely impossible to cross. It separates the lost from the redeemed. Again, it's just simply too late. Well, he continues, I beg you, send Lazarus to my five brothers. What? What is this sympathy? Is this finally a love for his brothers? Interestingly, some commentators say, no, this isn't, this isn't love. It's, it's his way of saying, you know, if, if I myself had only been warned, I would not be here today. It's not my fault. It's kind of that classic denial and blame. Or some say he does not want his brothers to join him for fear that they will blame him for the bad example that he gave them. That sounds consistent to the character of this man. What, what a parable. Just a, a few thoughts in conclusion as we hold up our hearts and lives up to the light of this parable that Jesus tells. First this, whatever you do, do not make this parable about anyone else. This is one of the easy ones to think about someone else who has way more than you do, way more than I do, way more than we do. Let me just remind you, we, we have a lot. Individually, in the American church, certainly Tulare Community Church, we have a lot. Let's think of how our lifestyle choices influence how we see and treat others, especially the poor. This would be a good use of our thought and our prayer during Lent. To feel sorrow now, friends, is healthy. Again, gar godly sorrow can bring repentance at this point. That leads to salvation. That leaves no regret. What a way to live in joy and no regret in our salvation. It's a beautiful thing. It's a glimpse of beauty. But worldly sorrow brings death. That is ashes. And godly or, uh, worldly sorrow is you know just not liking getting caught or not liking the negative consequences, but not owning, owning it and looking for forgiveness and a new way of living that pleases the Father more. You know, finally, in Jesus' story, Abraham say, says that even, even a person resurrected from the dead would not convince unbelief. This is so interesting here in this story because we certainly see that with Lazarus, that is the real guy, Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary in John 11, and his coming back from the dead, it just caused the religious leaders and others just to want to kill Jesus all the more. And then on April 4, we will celebrate another re resurrection, a, a glimpse of beauty through the ashes. 
I'm going to invite you to pray as we hold up our lives up against the light of the word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this simple, straightforward story. Oh, Lord, shine brightly in our lives. Show us how our lifestyle choices impact the way that we see other people and treat other people. Oh, Lord, that you would grow in each one of us in these days a compassion and empathy for 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 people in general, the lost, the poor, that we have our hearts open, our eyes up, that we wouldn't just ignore and block our view from, from the hard and the ugly things of this life, but that in your name, Lord, and in your care, that we would reach out with hope and healing. Oh, Lord, we thank you and praise you for the glimpse of beauty that we see coming soon by the power of your resurrection. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.